This is AMDA on the go, your gateway to expert discussions, general article reviews, and innovation in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA on the go is a presentation of the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. Did you know that the post-acute and long-term care setting has one of the highest polypharmacy rates, which increases the risk for adverse events and drug interactions? Join AMDA's new initiative. It's called Drive to Deprescribe, Optimizing Medication Use in PALTC. Learn more at paltc.org slash drive, the number two, deprescribe. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now here's our host for AMDA on the Go, Dr. Wayne Saltzman. Welcome to AMDA on the Go. This is a special edition, an update on COVID-19 and post-acute and long-term care, catching up with the Delta variant. AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine, moved quickly to develop and update guidelines for our practitioners and facility administrators, nurses, and staff early in the pandemic and then throughout the pandemic. Given the fluidity of issues and mandates around the pandemic here in the United States, there continue to be a number of questions and concerns around the management of COVID-19 in the post-acute and long-term care environment now. Dr. Swati Gower, the chair of the Society Infection Advisory Committee, helped guide us through the COVID-19 surge and continues to help us now in learning more about the assessment and management of this phase of COVID-19 in the nursing facility. Dr. Gower is a fellow of the American Geriatric Society and a medical director of two facilities in Northeast Georgia. She has a master's degree in business administration and owns a number of companies focusing on innovative nursing facility models for efficient patient care and she helps organizations create geriatric-based service lines. She's also a current member of the Society Board of Directors. Dr. Gower, welcome back to AMDA On The Go. Thank you, it's such a pleasure to be back. Dr. Gower, sadly, despite all that we have learned uh, and done over the past year in combating this this illness in post-acute long-term care, we seem to be in a unwanted but familiar place, old but new issues, mandates, treatments, and requirements. Let's get to some questions to help us catch up a bit with regard to COVID-19 and now the Delta variant. Um, The post-acute long-term care world kind of fell off the radar as the vast majority of long-term care residents were vaccinated and the current media attention on the Delta virus was more on younger adults. Where are we now in our thinking with regard to long-term care residents, especially when we think about states like Louisiana and Texas with uh, increased uh, nursing facility resident deaths? Um, Are we on a similar path again compared to the one we were on just a year ago? So the answer to that gets more complex as we know more about the disease and um, since we have come a long way um, since the beginning of the pandemic, the single most important factor that will answer this question, yes, um, is vaccination status um, of people around you 
and, and the community. And the reason that I um, say that is multiple, actually. Um, there, um, Gra Dr. Gra Gravenstein from Rhode Island, he, um, uh, I think Brown School of Medicine, he did a great study um, which kind of shows how when the staff got um, uh, vaccinated and the residents got vaccinated, what he showed is that the immunity that is um, generated by the residents in long-term care is much lower than the staff. Um, and um, a recent um, ACIP hearing actually on August 13th that I was sitting and hearing had a great slide that we will, I would love to um, provide to you so that uh, our audience can um, actually look at it. It's a very good visual, which basically shows that the community vaccination rate makes an incredible amount of difference in where you find yourself right now. And essentially, the way that I have um, talked to the staff about this is, as a nursing home medical director, as a nursing home staff, you have um, two levels of protection for your resident. The one level of protection is the total vaccination rate in the community and, um, and your nursing home staff as well. The second level of protection is your own personal immunity generated by your own vaccination. So if you are living in a community and you mentioned Louisiana, Texas, I would say Georgia as well, where the rates of community vaccination are lower, some, you know, I know that in our neck of the woods, it's around 30%, um, we are in a precarious situation. However, if you look at communities where the rates of um, vaccination are reaching up to 68, 70%. There, our nursing home residents are gonna be much, much more protected. And mm. you are going to see a lower number of cases, hospitalization and deaths, even in, um, um, in our nursing home residents, whether vaccinated and unvaccinated. Mm. Um, I think I do want to make sure that we understand that vaccination status of your resident is critically important as well. And so, for example, we have, um, if they are, they are vaccinated, they will have that lower chance of hospitalization and death as well. You know, let's dive a little bit deeper into the, into the staff uh, uh, issue. Um, the uh, as this, as the vaccination status is is really now on 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 the front burner. You know, states are reporting that as low as fifty percent or lower of nursing home employees may be vaccinated, which to me is just incredible. President Biden has said if you visit, live, or work in a nursing home, you should not be at high risk for contracting COVID from unvaccinated employees. Why hasn't the long-term care industry been on par with hospitals with regard to requiring COVID-19 vaccination uh, for staff? You know, how do you see this playing out? In uh, what can our medical directors do or help with to, you know, facilitate the process? You know, we're, as providers, um, you know, in the skilled nursing environment, um, what can be wor we working on with directors of nurses, administrators, 
in a proactive manner with regard to PPE, infection control, visitation, bi-directional hospital transitions, and community resources. A lot of questions, but I think this is the crux of really what the concern is right now. Absolutely. And um, thank you. That's an incredible question. And I think the most important at this time, Um, I will continue to talk about, you know, the difference um, in vaccination rates and what an incredible difference it makes. And, you know, I'll continue with the story of her nursing home uh, to kind of set the stage for this. Um, Your, as a medical director, our number one, two, three strategy for protecting our residents is vaccination of our staff. So I'll give you an example of, um, uh, you know, we recognized this very early on, and I have an incredible amount of, you know, incredible team of uh, staff um, who have taken it upon themselves to make sure that we are leading with vaccination in our in our building. So we are about 75% vaccinated for staff. Again, there is a, so 78 actually today. So there's still a 12% gap. However, in a community that is 30% vaccinated, that's a 48% differential and kudos to the staff. Now we, uh, we are, so just for reference, when we were our worst community um, uh, positivity rate were 23.8% uh, during last Christmas Thanksgiving time. At that time, we had about 42 residents who were tested positive for COVID. Um, Today, our community rates are close to 20%. Our neighboring community rates have already reached past that last year's rate. What we are seeing is that there are some nursing homes with 40% staff vaccination rate, which are your typical vaccination rates that are seen in Georgia. Um, What we are seeing is that they are starting to see those outbreaks. Uh, in our nursing home where we have prioritized the staff um, vaccination, uh, we are bracing for it. We are doing all preparation, but so far we have seen zero resident positives. We are seeing staff, uh, unvaccinated, typically staff members being positive, um, but we are doing that third, fourth layer of protection. So let's talk about some of these. Mm, please. A couple of things on vaccine. Um, you, you had asked the question why we are, um, the uptake is not as much as typically the hospital. Uh, they, there may be several reasons for it. First of all, hospital staff is typically used to mandates um, of flu vaccine. So they are more likely to take up the vaccine. In the past, a lot of nursing homes have not mandated the vaccine. So you have not seen that universal uptake of vaccination um, in the staff. Number two, uh, supply. Supply is an incredibly important thing. As a medical director, I would urge all our medical directors to look at the supply of vaccine in your nursing home. We started um, night shift. We come in during night shift time. We give vaccination to folks at, uh, during the night shift. We come on the weekends. We give um, vaccination to folks over the weekend. And we made that, make that happen with an incredibly um, great team who can educate and vaccinate at the same time. The third thing is 
education, I think typically in the hospital, the engagement and education may be much higher than in a typical nursing home. So there is a very, very good um, um, article or website called um, uh, Invest in Trust by AHRQ. Mm. And one of the slides that, uh, and we'll make that available as well. And one of the slides that I saw was contrasting people who are likely to take the vaccine and people who are vaccine hesitant. And the most important thing that jumped out from that slide is this, that both groups trusted their doctors and their nurses who work around them um, highly. So in people who were likely to take the vaccine, the, the trust, the number one people that they trusted were the doctors and the nurses around wow. them. Wow. However, in the vaccine hesitant group, um, that was number two. So the point that I'm trying to make here is 47% people who took the vaccination will trust the doctors and the nurses around them. 35% of the hesitant people will still trust the doctors and the nurses around them. We need to understand and recognize the power, incredible power of trust that we hold from our staff. Mm -hmm. So this is the time that we need to go and really get in front of our staff members. And I'm sure that there are a lot of um, medical directors who are doing it, but constant engagement is extremely important. Wonderful. The other thing that I would point out is, which is very important, which you brought up. President Biden came out, I believe yesterday, and um, you have um, said that he um, basically mandated um, the, the vaccine in, in people, in providers who are seeing or providing service to Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries. We have to be extremely cognizant to the fact that the staff who has been so far unvaccinated may be in a position where they feel powerless. And it is our responsibility to, you know, as a group to make them feel that they still have agency. We need to be respectfully supporting them in their decisions. We need to be able to, because their reasons for not getting vaccinated so far is tr real to them, that's number one, and it didn't go away with the mandate. So we need to continue to support them with regular engagement. Mm. Um, the other thing that I would say is, here is what is gonna come up, so be prepared. Um, what is my religious exemption? We need to be super cognizant of the racial disparities and be able to speak um, with empathy in, on those issues. We will make sure that, um, you know, we have been doing a lot of research as a group, as a COVID task force on religious exemptions, and we will make that available as well so that, you know, it's easily accessible. And finally, the vaccine supply. So that was all about the vaccine, um, Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, the latter part about preparation, you know, mm -hmm. is just extending onto your pro the proactivity you're talking about, and frankly, the support, you know, what should we be doing or thinking about regarding the issues we know are going to come up again? PPE, visitation, sure. hospital transitions, 
utilizing community resources, uh, et cetera. Are these on the are these on the infection advisory committee's dashboard um, as well? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think this is a huge problem that needs a multi-pronged approach, as mm -hmm. you have very clearly outlined. And thank you for doing that. So let's talk about PPE. Um, so basically, um, you know, what we had gone to is vaccinated, fully vaccinated individuals were. Um, had gone to regular surgical masks in at least in our building and unvaccinated individuals um, staff members because we need to osha has basically set out that we need to provide our um, vaccinated as well as unvaccinated staff members um, protection from um, you know getting covid um, so we have uh, our unvaccinated uh, staff was still wearing N95s for protection and face shields for eye protection. As the community prevalence went up to 5%, we started back with face shields because even vaccinated individuals needed eye protection. Mm. And this is very much dependent on your DPH. So please um, refer to your DPH, please talk with them, be in talks with them. And our DPH and CDC actually says, if possible, if you're getting to that level of 10%, uh, you should be wearing N95. So as our community rates are closer to 15 to 17 to 18%, we have all gone back to wearing um, N95s and um, and face shields for the foreseeable future. We expect that the Delta variant will surge, will hit a peak, and then hopefully will go down, mm. um, aided by the vaccine, um, you know, aided by the vaccination efforts. Uh, but until then, for the time being, that's what we are doing with PPE. Mm. One of the things that I would remind everyone is that always double check um, periodically what your capacity is. Use the CDC calculator and make sure that your logistics of PPE and your supply chain is well maintained. That's important. The other, um, you know, infection control, when it comes to infection control, the principles of infection control stay the same. Right. Early detection, and cohorting is the number one most important thing that uh, one can do um, with patients, staff, and equipment. So that is important. We talked about um, visitation. We are attempting to make sure that all the visitation is happening, or no, not all, but as much possible, as much as possible visitation is happening outside. We are fortunate to have beautiful outdoor areas where we have set up um, you know, nice places. It may be too hot in certain places for visitation. However, we have also created a single sheet for the families who are visiting, reminding them that Delta variant um, is in the community. There is a huge surge of it that we are strongly encouraging them to wear masks and um, using hand sanitizer, we are providing them with masks and hand sanitizer. We are also urging in that one pager um, that they get vaccinated to protect their loved ones in the long-term care facility. Mm. 
Um, so that is what is going on as far as vis visitation is concerned. And now, a word from our sponsor, U.S. Post-Acute Care. Let's talk for a minute about goals of care conversations. Now more than ever, post-acute clinicians should initiate these discussions with their patients. At U.S. Post-Acute Care, our clinical team is committed to regular goals of care conversations with each seriously ill patient. We help our patients to think through their goals and express what's most important to them. Now we can develop a care plan that aligns with their goals and their values. Using a technique first developed by Ariadne Labs, these structured conversations have shown meaningful improvements in the quality, cost, and effectiveness of care. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Kevin Henning, is highly committed to making the goals of care conversation a foundation of effective care for our clinical team. At U.S. Post-Acute Care, that's what we think. Now we'd like to know what you think. You can reach us at uspostacutecare.com or on LinkedIn, and Dr. Henning will be happy to respond. Thanks for listening. Transfers, you talked about transfers. Wow, that was a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, 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 I've got you on the hot seat and I'd like to keep you there as long as possible. I was thinking okay. to myself, you're talking, thank goodness this is a podcast because people can play rewind and, and say, <laughs> wait a minute, what did she say? What did she say? <laughs> well, let's talk about transfers. Um, we recognized that, um, you know, there is a, I understand what the CMS and CDC has said, in their regulations and CDC had said in their recommendations. And we understand that we have to move with the virus. So what we did is the following. Um, we were taking uh, fully vaccinated individuals into the nursing home, still in a protected area actually, in, a, in the admissions unit, and then um, transferring them out to the uh, to the regular units. However, this is what we have done in response to Delta. We have started bringing even our fully vaccinated um, uh, transfers from the hospital as our community um, positivity rate is very, very high. Our hospital staff rate is low, staff vaccination rate is low, and our cases in the hospital are exponentially increasing. Yes. The, the exposure to the resident coming into the health, our healthcare facility, our long-term care facility is extremely high. Mm. Considering that, we have moved to placing the patient who is coming in in isolation um, for um, and cohorting them in the admission unit for seven days. And what we do at that time is get to an acceptable level of risk. So how do we do that? We are, first of all, making sure that we have tests that are coming back within two hours. So our urgent tests are used only on our urgent situations. We have found a lab that will do these urgent tests. Most of our tests are going to the labs that we have been using in the past, which give us our answers in about 24 to 48 hours. But the urgent labs, you know, I would consider as a medical director calling around and finding out that urgent test 
result, which will come back in two hours or three hours or within the day. Now, what we do is we ask the hospital to do a test within 24 hours prior to sending our residents. Every single resident gets that negative test when they come in. We do their test, initial test, on day one to three. We do a repeat test from on day five to seven. And once those tests are negative, we bring them into our regular, um, a regular nursing home with all comers. That brings us with this vaccine, vaccine status, it brings us to an acceptable level of risk, we feel. Mm. Now, the unvaccinated residents continue to stay there in the admission unit for a full 14 days. And we do, we again do repeat testing on them as well to make sure that we are catching the disease as early as possible. You know, as I'm listening to you, I think the most impressive thing is that I'm flashing back to a year ago and the conviction in your voice today and the planning and the proactivity and the processes and workflows that you're discussing are so precise and so um, logistical as compared to last year when we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. It really is, uh, it really is amazing what we've learned and what we're able to apply and think about as, um, as Delta is making its way through, isn't it? Absolutely. I think we have to be grateful for people who have done so many studies of all the research that has been done, of all the bits of information that we have received on which to base our logistics and to upon which to base our protocols. So absolutely, Wayne, mm-hmm. incredibly grateful for um, all who have done all this great work. You know, I, I want to, I want to, wrap this um, this uh, overview up with talking about uh, treatments um, for which there are, are are many questions you can you can imagine so you know through the work of the infection advisory committee you have all created a number of tools that are accessible from the society website paltc.org you know and I and I have some questions you know are these tools being utilized? You know, what can members learn from the vaccine education toolkit or monoclonal uh, antibody assessment, you know, today? You know, where are we yeah. on monoclonal antibodies or medications like, like Regeneron um, have recommendations changed around testing? Um, you know, are antigen tests okay? Or, uh, you know, do we need PCR? You know, as we talk about what we have learned um, over the past year, and now what we have access to what is available, you know, what can we do with regard to these treatments? Um, What can we and can't we do with regard to these treatments, um, you know, in the skilled nursing facility? Absolutely. I think, um, again, Wayne, um, kudos to you for having this question. There are so many parts to it, and I'm so glad to address it. (laughs) Um, I'm excited because um, actually today, Shea um, Society um, of uh, Healthcare Epidemiology um, came out with a toolkit for staff vaccination because it's an incredibly important 
place that we find ourselves. And those tools will be made available on AMDA website. Um, we also have great work that is being done in um, um, monoclonal antibody treatment. And that work, you know, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Salman Ashraf out of um, Nebraska. And that would be, we would love to share his, um, his work as well. Um, and uh, we are making, as we speak, Aaron, shout out to Aaron um, and Dr. Demiati and the whole COVID task force. We are currently, as we speak, finalizing the monoclonal antibody, a two-pager, because things have changed. As you know, mm. that BAM and ETI are no longer uh, you know, in consideration because there is concern about its effectiveness against Delta variant. And as you um, said, Regeneron is the, um, is the monoclonal antibody that is available. Here is what I would say to the, um, to the medical directors that um, a lot of times what we are finding is those pathways to obtain the monoclonal antibodies ha have kind of fizzled away because it has been so long. Let's make sure that we have the logistics, the training, the pharmacy support available because now we not only have the infusion of Regeneron, we also have subcutaneous injections. And Regeneron can also be used as a prophylactic agent with close contact. Um, and this all should be available. I mean, this seems to be a huge topic in and itself, um, but it, is, um, it should be considered for unvaccinated close contact and also a vaccinated but immunocompromised close contact. But while we are talking about monoclonal antibody, I cannot overstate the extra dose of vaccine that needs to be given to our immune compromised patients, uh, the list of which CDC had come out with um, on um, uh, 13th of August, but, you know, that's Friday of last week. So um, those are the important considerations. You talked about antigen and PCR. Mm. Antigen and PCR testing, again, it's very, very important for us to always think about what is the pretest probability of the test being positive. Yes. Right. So for example, if somebody has clinical, um, clinical symptoms, you go straight to PCR. Yep. One more thing that I would like to really um, emphasize is please, when you're sending the COVID test, consider using doing flu test as, as well as RSV. And you can do all at the same time because those tests are available. Um, but if your COVID is negative and patient is symptomatic, look for flu and RSV because that's going about in the community as well. So, you know, Dr. Gower, I, I think that, you know, you've allowed us to catch up, so to speak, on some of the most um, intriguing questions being asked by our, our members um, with regard to management 
of COVID-19, of this phase of COVID-19 in the facility. And I, I, just want to, I just want to reiterate that Dr. Swadigar and the uh, AMDA Infection Advisory Committee um, continues to contribute to our knowledge and our assessment and management power as we make our way through uh, this phase of COVID-19. And, and um, Dr. Gower, may I be so bold as to ask if we could have you back for another update and some more, uh, some more education? Absolutely, it would be such a pleasure to come back uh, because as much as we have talked about, it seems, there is a whole lot more to talk about uh -huh. Um, and it's always such a pleasure um, talking with you and chatting with you, Wayne. Uh, Dr. Gower, thank you so much for spending your time with, uh, with AMDA on the go. Thank very much appreciate it. Uh, references uh, on COVID-19, as Dr. Gower has intimated, can be found on the Society website, paltc.org. Uh, as well as I would encourage everyone to frequent uh, the Centers for Disease Control CDC website, cdc.org, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services website, cms.gov, um, to keep up to speed. I think that's, that is a responsibility that, that we all have to keep up to speed on what the latest recommendations and regulations uh, are with regard to uh, management. Until next time, I'm Dr. Wayne Saltzman for this innovation podcast that we call AMDA On The Go. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. If you are a physician and interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our new learning management system at apex.paltc.org. Click on podcast and follow the link to this latest episode. Thank you.